All right, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa. I uh, had a great interview today with Marissa Ballin. Marissa is the Vice President of Global Investment Management at Citizen M Hotels. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Citizen M Hotels, but they are a kind of a mid-luxury brand. What, what does she call it? Uh, what does she call it? It's under the B. Luxury? I think I think it was Bluxury, which is kind of cool. Uh, she grew up in New Jersey, like myself, um, got her MBA at Wharton and started in banking and then moved her way through hospitality. And so you get to learn about all the different skill sets um, that have made her successful. So please listen. And as always, we love it when you rate the podcast, review the podcast and share the podcast. So uh, thanks so much and have a great rest of your day. Bye. Marissa, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Where are you? I like your painting behind you. Um, I guess princess. This oh, Margaret. Are you English? Uh, I'm not English. This is actually not my painting. It's uh, oh. this. I'm in our office right now with one other person. Oh. Um, on Friday. And on a Friday, and I figured I would give you a little bit of a citizen and background, so we have some. I love all it. in the background, some real art. That's <laughs> so awesome. We we know we're not in my house because I don't have any actual Warhols in my house, unfortunately. That's amazing. Where do you, yeah. you're in New York? I'm based in New York. Yeah. Um, where's your office? My office is on Thirty Second and Madison. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. We were at Thirty Seventh between Fifth and Sixth for a long time. Now we're at Fortieth and Broadway. Mm-hmm. I think Thirty Second and Madison's. Much cooler. Um, it's it's becoming really cool. That whole area, Nomad, Flatiron, um, you know, it was a bit of a no man's land for a little while. And then I will say the cool factor has been shifting north. So it, there's a Whole Foods now. I mean, once there's a Whole Foods, game over. I know. Well, you're there. Right. And I'm here. So obviously. And, Citizen and there's a Warhol right and, behind you. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's awesome. And then how's the weather in New York today? Uh, apparently it is raining uptown. People are really? telling me, I know it's, it's actually very strange. It's one of those freak summer storms where it rains in micro locations. So it's very hot and humid, you know, thunderstorm, kind of typical New York city, New York city summer. Where are you? Bay area? I live in the Bay area. So I live like okay. just North of Palo Alto is kind of a landmark. Ah. Um, but I grew up in New Jersey and then I feel like, did we talk about this? I also grew up in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Whereabouts? I grew up in Bergen County in Tenafly. I grew up in Mars County. Okay. So west of you. I think we did. Yeah. But yeah. We can, we're going to go back into that history pretty soon. Okay. Don't give it away. I, I, w- I won't. I won't. We talk about diners, the New Jersey Turnpike, the Shore, whatever well, you want. We were talking about smoking before <laughs> offline. <laughs> smoking in the diners, yeah. Smoking in the diners <laughs> was amazing. I loved it. Um, so you're a VP of global investment management at Citizen M Hotels. That sounds like a Correct. very big job. It sounds like a very cool job. Uh, what, what, what can you tell us about global or Citizen M? Yes. What are hotels? No, I'm kidding. We know what hotels are, but what are Citizen <laughs> M hotels? Um, so Citizen M is, um, an affordable luxury brand. Uh, we were founded in Europe, um, 
fully vertically integrated company, which means that we're the owner, the operator, and also the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, we currently have 28 hotels open and a pipeline of about 10 or 12, uh, 10 or 12 in development. Um, oh, whereabouts? Yeah. Um, right now, so currently in the U.S., I can kind of go go clockwise. We have one open in Boston and another one in development. We have two open in New York. We have two open in D.C. as of last week. Nice. Um, we have one open in Miami as of a few weeks ago and a second one under construction. Cool. It kind of continues across the country. Chicago's opening in three weeks. We have Austin under construction, uh, you know, Seattle, San Francisco, L.A. So taking over the world. That's great. Uh, and like, why, why now? Is it like anything to do with the markets? Is it like, was there distress in the hotel world? No, we, so our, our, um, our product is a very bespoke product. Most of our expansion in the U S has been ground up development. Historically in Europe, it's been a mix of ground up development and adaptive reuse. Um, and we are just bearing the fruits of all of our labor historically. When we first started expanding, um, you know, maybe, eight or 10 years ago, we were acquiring sites. And now all of those sites are kind of coming to fruition and those projects are coming out of the ground. So it's an exciting time. And who founded it? Like who's, who's the, like, is it like private capital? Mm -hmm. Do you like what kind of, how are you funded and what's your investment strategy? Yeah. Uh, we were founded by, um, a man named Ratan Shada. He was the founder of a company called Mex, which was kind of a fast fashion company in the uh, 90s and early 2000s. Okay, cool. Um, he sold that to Liz Claiborne. And then Heard after that, <laughs> um, after that, uh, founded uh, Citizen M and a number of other brands. Um, Is he English? He's not English, actually. We are a Dutch company and Uh-oh. he lives in the Netherlands. Oh, is that is that Queen Anne behind you? Margaret, is she Dutch? No, she's not Dutch. Uh, she is English. Yes, oh, I know. Sorry. I saw the orange and I was like, maybe she's Dutch. No, no, there is a lot of orange in uh, in the Netherlands, so that that's true. Um, so, so yeah, Ratan was our it was our founder. He is he's actually a very known, uh, well known contemporary art collector in Europe. Hence the art focus um, design. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, okay. And so then mm-hmm. he got this idea to start hotels and now, now like, how are you funded? Is it like, what's the, yeah. well, I guess what's, what's like, what's a citizen, what, what are you looking for when you mm-hmm. acquire a, a land or are you, yeah. are you doing, is it mainly ground up? It is mainly ground up. So I'll tell you a little bit more about Citizen M and kind of what the impetus was for Ratan, uh, his founding of the company. Um, so again, as I mentioned before, we're an affordable luxury lifestyle brand, um, our rooms are a little bit smaller and our public spaces are very oversized. Um, they are well-designed, high style, um, public spaces that are, um, uh, super functional. So they work very well during the day as co-working spaces. And then they flex to kind of bar activated bar spaces in the evening. Mm. Um, and the reason why, uh, you know, the idea behind Citizen M was, um, you know, when, when Ratan had the fashion company, he had designers traveling all over the world and they had a limited teeny budget and it was impossible to find anything with style that was also somewhat affordable. Yeah. And so, um, and so citizen M was founded and really, you know, we like to think that we were one of the first 
kind of crossover brands that tried to um, find that white space between what yeah. was historically a W and, you know, what is now kind of your luxury lifestyle brands and a courtyard. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. you know, and there's something in the middle and that really appeals to a lot of people. Um, it appeals to me. I've never stayed in one, though. You've never stayed I've in heard, I don't think so, but I've heard, I mean, the name mm -hmm. is out there, right? I mean, the name is out there. It's we a, are, It's a mystique. Yeah. There's, yes. a, there's a mystery behind it. It's a great name. It's a great name. Yeah. What does it stand for? Mobile citizen. Oh. Yes. Citizens of the world. Um, so you also asked about how we expand and what our investment strategy is. Um, right. We are very fortunate to have long-term committed shareholders. So we have, um, in addition to obviously our founder's family office, we have two other shareholders, um, APG and GIC. Okay. Um, so APG is, um, the Dutch civil servants pension fund. And then GIC obviously is the, is the Singapore sovereign wealth fund. Um, both of those shareholders have been, um, you know, great advocates for citizen M, um, are committed to the, to growing and expanding the platform. They are also long-term holders. So we are in a very fortunate position where we're not looking to, buy and flip assets, you know, we're looking for long-term investments, which means we, we identify great real estate. Mm. Um, and that is, you know, number one is great real estate is great real estate. Cause if you want to hold it for 50 years, um, that's kind of, you know, location, 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 as yeah. they say. That's, that's pretty cool. So you don't have to worry about getting out in seven years or five years or whatever. Right. Exactly. And then like, what is, I mean, COVID was a big deal. I hit hospitality. Like, what are you seeing mm -hmm. in the hospitality real estate world? Like, are you, so the, the, tell me that first. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. COVID, uh, I, I mean, obviously was a major shock to the system for a lot of industries. And it wasn't just hospitality. Hospitality was impacted very severely, but, you know, across the board, um, gyms, restaurants, you know, so many, um, so office. many of our office, right? Exactly. Um, so many service providers and uh, businesses that occur in, in real estate and a lot of real estate based businesses obviously were impacted by COVID. Um, it, you know, I will say that we have, we've seen our hotels recovering far more quickly than we thought they were going to. Uh, leisure has rebounded and far exceeded where it was in 2019. Um, I think, you know, group, group business is probably lagging, um, you know, business transients lagging slightly, but leisure business has more than outpaced that. So we are on track to exceed where we were in 2019. And I think, I think a lot of hotels or hotel companies are seeing that across the board. Um, and, and one thing that we talk a lot about here and I'm sure you've heard people talking about this in the in the hospitality industry is this concept of the leisure traveler, and it feels a little bit like a buzzword. Mm. Um, but it's it is a real it is a real thing, and it takes a lot of different forms. So it might be uh, someone going away for the weekend, and now they can have a longer uh, a longer yeah. trip, and they arrive on Thursday, and maybe they leave on Monday, and they can explore the city. Um, during That's what I do. But see there there you go. Um, there you go. Or vice versa. You're on a business trip and you add a day or two, or maybe you can bring your partner with you now. Um, whereas previously, you know, they weren't able to work from anywhere. So they were at home and you were at your conference. 
Um, right. So, you know, so there are many different forms. And I think that that's filling some of this, some of this gap um, and driving a little bit of this demand. Someone used the, the acronym instead of, what is it? WFH, work from home, mm-hmm. work from hotel. Oh, I love that. And, and I'm going to steal that. it. I'm, I'm actually going to steal that from you. Thank you. Maybe Julio should cut that part out so the other person doesn't come after you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you are, I mean, ho- when I was out of college, I, I thought hotels were cool. I, I wanted to be working the hotel, but part of me wanted to work in the hotel world. I thought it was like mm-hmm. traveling around and cool, blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is the coolest real estate asset out there. Um, like what, it, your, your role as a global investment manager, what, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Um, so right now I oversee our investment management function globally, which is, which is sort of like asset management. Um, I, I would say because we are both the owner and the operator, it's a little bit more, um, we like to call it investment management. It's kind of re- representing the, the investor as a stakeholder at the mm-hmm. table. Um, so that means just looking at our assets and figuring out how are we going to maximize value with these assets. And, and that can take many forms. So for one hotel, maybe that's, um, okay, how do we rethink this rooftop amenity? Uh, you know, should we open it on different nights? Should we add some programming, activate it a little bit more, um, leasing out retail spaces, activating our coffee shops, um, you know, so so there's there's kind of an operational finding the levers that we can pull to try to maximize the cash flow of the asset. It's one side of my role, and the other side is um, being the point person for our partners. We have joint venture partners. We have, um, you know, uh, some of our assets are on ground leases. Uh, uh-huh. We have retail tenants. So just acting as a point person um, uh, at Citizen M to deal with yeah. issues that they come up and, you know, generally being be accessible. So you're the head of that, huh? I am the head of that. Globally. That's right. That's awesome. That's sounds like right. a big, I mean, that, I mean, mm-hmm. some of that stuff sounds pretty cool. Like, you know, how do we repurpose this roof? Yeah. And that's you know, really creative. It, it's, I'll back up a little bit. So I started my career, um, I started in investment banking many years ago, um, which obviously is very quantitative. Um, but, but a great place to start, right? Cause you got all of the tools. It's a perfect foundation, I think for any, any of these investment focused jobs. Um, but for me, it was lacking a little bit of that creativity and mm. hospitality and my current role, uh, allows me to use those quantitative skills, but it is also creative. And, um, and I love that about my job. I love that I'm able to think about things from an analytical and quantitative perspective, it is an asset. It is like yeah. a stock or a bond, right? Yeah. I and mean, all you're doing is looking at cash flows at the end of the day, but those cash flows are coming from a really cool bar, <laughs> you know, yeah. pers- rather than just a dividend stream. So, so there's an element of kind of fun and creativity to it. Yeah. Then the investors want to, they don't care what the bar looks like. They just want to make sure their money's coming to them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's pretty cool. Is it as co- cool as I thought it was going to be when I was coming out of college, flying around the world at new hotel openings with like, you know, these fancy luxury parties and stuff? Um, 
Just say yeah, yes. it is. Yeah. It is. You know, I don't I don't want to make you feel bad, but it is. Son of a god. <laughs> Son of a god. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, so we were talking prior about, um, we both from New Jersey, so we're both mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, where, yeah, t- did you have, a? was your family in the hotel business? Did you have any idea what hotel besides staying in them look like? Like kind of tell me about your background, please. Um, so I guess no is the, is the short answer. Not only that, I didn't really travel much or stay in many hotels as a kid. Um, I think I I was inspired by it, but it wasn't, it, you know, I wasn't, I, my family wasn't the kind of family that was flying off to Europe and I was spending you yeah, know, summers neither. with my family in Europe. Like we were driving to Boston and that was our, <laughs> that yeah, was our Boston, summer vacation. the shore. Yeah, exactly. Um, so where this came from, I was, you know, I started in investment banking again, as I mentioned. Um, so you're smart. You're a smart kid. You did know, well in high school. Right? Yeah, did well in high school. Uh, you know, did you um, have an idea what you wanted to do when you wanted when you grew up? I, you know, growing up in the suburbs of New York in the '80s, to be honest, there wasn't a lore of Wall Street at the time, right? Yeah. There was something that I, I slick you your know, hair back. It, it, Exactly. There was something of that kind of working woman going to Wall Street that I found very appealing. So I I think I always had an eye towards working in finance and working in business, um, even when, you know, even before college. Um, I went to college in the city and it was kind of a natural transition from there. A lot of people were were going from, um, you know, from my school into investment banking. So it was just kind of the natural, the natural route. Is there Um, a lot of women doing that? There were not. Actually. Yeah, you're. I mean, yeah. Let's talk about. We'll go. Yeah, let's go back to the yeah. career arc. Well, tell us about like, uh-huh. and like in hospitality, like in mm-hmm. you know, I, as a recruiter, uh, I see you know I place a lot of women. Um, over, you know, I've doing this twenty years, and so it's traditionally been in more of like the leasing and marketing and those type of roles, not necessarily like in the acquisitions, um, mm-hmm. asset management type function. So, like, how have you seen that change? Or like, how did you kind of yeah, what are you seeing now? And like, have you had a lot of resistance mm-hmm. along the way? I will say um, it still is majority men, obviously, right? It's probably, I don't know, 75, 25, or, you know, 70, 30, something like that. Um, but that is a vast improvement versus when I when I first started, you know, I mean, there was a time, not only in the hospitality industry and in finance, obviously, generally, where you would be certainly would be the only person in the room and maybe the only person at a at a conference. And you could go to a conference and not see any women speaking on the panels. Yeah. Uh, and now that is certainly not the case. Right. You can't you can't walk into uh, the NYU conference or the Alice conference and mention a woman by first name. And everyone knows who that is. Yeah. There's only one Jane. Right, <laughs> you know? right, um, yeah. So so I think that that um, the, these days it's not it's not as unusual um, as it was kind of in the early 2000s when I first started working. 20 years was it ago, intimidating? So. I never found it to be intimidating. Um, I think that there's always a certain awareness um, that you need to have, especially at that time, kind of pre-Me Too, 
just to, to be totally, totally upfront, right? There's a certain awareness and a certain amount of professionalism that you need to come to the table with mm. so that you're creating certain boundaries and people take you seriously. So maybe there was a little bit more pressure as a young woman coming up in the industry than there would have been as a, as a young man, but it's really just, you know, keeping your wits about you and, and, um, uh, taking, taking a seat at the table yeah. kind of acting that way. So you went to college undergrad in the city. Yep. Went um, to college undergrad in the city. You mm-hmm. did banking. Correct. And were you doing like, I mean, take, yeah, say, let's go through the next step here. Like how did mm-hmm. that, there's a lot of people in banking. Um, yep. There's a lot of people in banking who want to do something besides banking. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of people I talk to in banking who want to get into real estate investments or something. Um, and they can't always do it. Uh, it's usually like if someone's in banking too long, they're kind of, mm-hmm. that's so usually the problem. Um, but a couple first couple of years. So how did, like, what was yeah. your, like, did you get an idea of what, did you, what you wanted to do? And like, were you, I mean, I see you, you were doing some lodging and, and the real estate team, right? In the mm-hmm. banking world. And you, that's your first exposure to real estate at all? So I started actually in leverage finance. Um, so on the credit side. And that just wasn't for me. I, you know, wasn't excited by leverage buyouts and debt and uh, so on and so forth. Um, and I was, I was there really late at night and started Googling. I don't even know if we had Google, but whatever I was doing, you know, <laughs> yeah. searching, um, uh, searching other job opportunities and, and actually a strategy job at Starwood was posted somewhere. And I thought, wow, what a cool job. That's what I want to do. And that's where I got this idea that I wanted to work in hospitality. It was really from a random search. And I, and I said to myself, okay, what do I need to do to get there? Mm. Um, and from there, I kind of took sidesteps, uh, you know, and I, and I think um, just in general, that's how career paths kind of go, right? So I knew that I wanted to work in hotels and I wanted to develop hotels. And I worked in credit at an investment bank. So how do, how could I get from point A to point B? Mm. It was, okay, first step was I started covering gaming and lodging on the credit side, you know, so still, still at JP Morgan, um, but kind of sidestep number one. All right, now I'm going to get myself some industry experience. Then, you know, went to business school to start to go from corporate level analysis to an asset level understanding kind of sidestep two. How did you like business school? Who doesn't like business school? I've right? never been to business school. Oh, it was great. Tell me you hated it. Ah, you keep ruining my day. I'm sorry. I always wanted I'm to go sorry. to business school too. Son of a gun. Um, but business th- school is great. Yeah, it's it's a lot of really talented people, and honestly, it's people who are joiners and doers. It just it's kind of a self it's a self selecting group of people who who always say yes. Right. Oh, want to go pumpkin chucking and whatever? Sure. And there's two buses of people and everyone's, you know, going to Delaware to go. <laughs> Did you think that you needed to do that and to get where you wanted to go? Or you just kind of were like, I don't know what I want to do type of thing? Um, you know, I, I went to I went to Wharton for business school where they have a really strong real estate program. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to kind of have an idea of where I wanted to go and to, um, to be able to go to a school that I felt like was going to help me get to where I wanted to go. Um, so it was a little bit by design. Um, could I have gone directly from investment banking right into real estate investments? 
Maybe, yeah. maybe in hindsight, but at the time it was, you know, okay, I can go to the school. They have classes in real estate investing. Um, yeah. You know, so it was a little, it was a little straightforward. You get to live in luxurious Philadelphia. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so you came out of there mm-hmm. and then what, then you, did you, did you get right into hospitality? Was that something that interested Like, how did you get the hospitality yeah. specifically? It's very, it's very, it's like there's real estate and yeah. hospitality oftentimes, right? But I mean, real yes. estate is a, hospitality is a, a real estate mm-hmm. asset, a real asset. Um, like how did you, why did you choose that one? And did you choose that one? Did you try other ones? Uh, so always wanted to do hotels, started covering gaming and lodging at JP Morgan, went to business school, honestly, specifically because there was a real estate club and a hospitality club. And I was like, okay, I can, I can marry these two things. I went, you know, I really had my focus on, on working in hotels and working on the real estate, real estate side of hotels. Um, when I, I graduated from business school in 2008, so right into the financial crisis. And at the time, hotels were not considered real estate. I remember telling my mentor, I want to develop hotels. And, mm. and the answer was, hotels are not real estate. It's an operating business. Um, so at that time, the view was, you know, hotels were really not considered an institutional asset. They weren't one of the main four food groups, which is, you know, residential, office, retail, and industrial. Hospitality mm. kind of sat on the side. A lot of these alternative um alternative asset classes kind of started at that moment when interest rates got, you know, were lower and people were chasing yield. Mm. So now every major investor has a bucket for hospitality. But when I first started, it was, oh, you want to work in hotels? Like, (laughs) yeah, that's not real estate. Um, So, so it was a little bit of a challenge navigating, navigating the structure of the industry and figuring out how do I get to the real estate side of this industry? Because As you know, Marriott doesn't own real estate and Starwood at the time, which I, where I ended up, didn't own much real estate. And so most of the real hotel companies actually don't have anything to do with real estate. And they're um, just the managing just, the real estate. Right? Exactly. They're just the brand and the management. And in order to get to the, the real asset side, it's a very dispersed ownership group. And you just, you know, you have to find an owner, which is why Citizen M is so unique. Yeah, um, yeah. It seems like a lot of people put flags tough. on, you know, they put their flag on it and manage it. And right. then like, is, is it more like, I mean, you have, I mean, like Starwood owns hotels now, right? So Starwood Capital owns hotels. Starwood, Capital, yeah, yeah, yeah. Starwood Hotels, which was acquired <laughs> by Marriott. Um, when I was there, we, uh, you know, we owned about a billion or a billion and a half dollars of real estate that we were, um, disposing of. So that was kind of part of the real estate function there. But you can't grow very quickly um, owning a lot of real estate, right? It's much easier to sign a management contract and have someone else yeah. someone else spend the money. So you learned the hotel side also from like the management side of it, right? I did. Um, I did. My internship, I actually did my internship um, in, in business school at the core group working who with working with um, Brian DeLow and Brad Corzin. They now obviously have proper. Um, and that was really my first job in hotels. Uh, you know, and I, I kind of learned, that's where I started and that's where I, I really learned everything. Yeah, it was, it was terrific. Again, um, 
again, an owner operator. So again, a very unique platform. Um, Do you think that, um, having that skill set, like, you know, business school and then the operational side of it helps mm -hmm. now? Is that kind of all led to what you do? You use that stuff now? I, I use everything now, you know, um, I, I think as we talked about before, it's, it's, it is very much an investments job. A lot of what I do is thinking about what the investment is and articulating that story um, right. And being able to translate numbers into some, into words and into a story that makes sense. Um, so that's one piece of it. And then on the other side, it is having an understanding of the operations and, uh, you know, be, in order to identify what levers you have to pull to maximize your cash flows, you have to understand the operations too, to yeah. a certain extent. I won't say that I know how to operate a hotel cause I don't. And that is, you know, uh, kind of beyond my skill set, but I, I know how to look at a P and L and understand uh, what's understand behind what's, it. Yeah, exactly. What's happening there. Yeah. Cause there's so many, I was just talking to a client today and he wanted to hire somebody with kind of more hands on real estate experience. Cause he's like, everyone I have comes out of like, you know, these really high profile places and, but no one really understands the real estate part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so they don't really know what's going on behind the numbers there. Yeah. Um, so that's important. And that, do you think, yeah, I mean, I've also heard that makes people better investors and asset managers just knowing on what's going on behind the, the scenes there. And you probably gain a little respect from the people and the, the, the troops reporting into you, right? Like you kind of know what you're doing a little bit because you've been there somewhat. I, I you know, I, I like to think that I know what I'm doing, but <laughs> I, <laughs> no guarantees. What, um, where do you see hospitality changing like it's changed like when we were like you just said like when we were kids it was uh at least i remember like you know we go to like mm -hmm. red roof inn and it was just like a place to it wasn't it was just a place to sleep um mm -hmm. and like where is hospitality going these days mm. interesting you better you better have a great answer i'm kidding it's it's such a unique industry because we've seen so much change over the last 30 years. I, you know, I would attribute a lot of that to Ian Traeger and um, Barry Sternlicht, uh, you know, and Andre Blas, kind of the, um, the, these are the people who identified the fact that, that hotels could be brands mm. and created the idea of, hospitality is kind of a lifestyle brand and that just fundamentally changed the industry completely right when in, in in the 70s 80s 60s 70s 80s you went into any brand x hotel and every single one was exactly the same and then suddenly yeah. the 90s came and that all changed I wonder why that was more money people had more disposable income or something i i think it was just a realization that um yeah, maybe that there was an opportunity there. Um, I mean, I'm glad it happened. I, I you know, I, I yeah. love staying in nice, so it's like cool hotels. I, I, I agree with it's you. It's part of the whole travel experience. I agree. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I think it's, it's that's kind of where we came from, uh, and now we're at it. Now we're at a time where, just as I said before, hospitality wasn't an institutional asset class. Non-branded hospitality was, <laughs> you know, I mean, no one. 
no one wanted to uh, to talk about that. And now a lot of your loose soft brands are also institutional quality assets. Um, so there's the you know things things have the ability now to be a little bit more boutique, a little bit more bespoke, um, while still having uh, you know while still being able to access capital. So that I think is really exciting. And then in terms of morphing of business models, you know, something I, I'm going to, I'll go back to kind of the leisure conversation we were having, we were having before. I like that name, leisure. Leisure. It's, it's, yeah, it's a great, it's a good one. It's fun it's to say. <laughs> um, you know, I could see, I can see a world where all of these uses kind of start to melt and, this is, you know, this is me talking, not necessarily Citizen M, but it's just kind of my own view on, yeah, on hospitality, I want your own view. right? I mean, there, there's probably a future where, uh, you know, there are co-working floors attached to a hotel and there's also some extended stay there. And, you know, maybe you're going to this space and you're going to go live there for a month, or maybe you're going to go stay there yeah. for a couple of days, but you can use the space and it's flexible and, you know, you're working from there during the day and, you know, you, you can go explore the city um, and, you know, depending on your use case and how long you're going to stay, you have different, different types of units. So I can see a world where, um, where the blurring of lines between office and to co-working and to hospitality and to extended stay and to short-term rentals and apartments, right, they all kind of start, you know, this spectrum all kind of starts um coming together. That's where I think the future of the industry is going. Was that where um, like Equinox and Related was trying to do with their Equinox hotels? Similar? Do you know what you were... I, I, do, I do know of Equinox hotels. I mean, I think... Because I know I, they were just trying to sell that that one, which is kind of unusual. I they, I, I believe that that one was on the market, the one in, in Hudson Yards, I believe. Um, you know, Equinox already had a great brand. You know, yeah, they, they already yeah. had a lifestyle brand. So you may as well use your brand equity um, and be able to capture your same customer in a different persona. You know, it, it, they already had a luxury lifestyle brand. And then that that same guest, so to speak, um, could then travel with them. So uh, that's what I think they were trying to do. Yeah. Or that's, I, yeah, it just seemed like if I they're surmise. trying to sell it, like, I guess, I don't know. I, don't know. I was wondering if how successful it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never stayed there. I had a buddy who stayed there a couple times. He said it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Yeah, I love the hospitality space. I guess there wasn't a lot of like people were expecting so much distress from this you know, COVID, but there really hasn't been anything, right? Uh, there, there has not been. There, there has not been a lot of distress at all. I think uh, you know, uh, banks were very patient. Um, most folks that I know of were able to just you know defer the payments for for a little while and and weather the storm. Weather the storm. Um, we'll see if there's distress to come. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be in hospitality, frankly, but I, I think in real estate broadly, as interest rates go up, there's, you, you know, I mean, we're, we're all going to have to face the music when, when refinancing start to happen and suddenly your interest payments are going up and now you have a cash flow issue or your valuation goes down, um, you know, and you have a, a solvency issue because you can't refinance at the same at the same loan to value. So we'll see how interest rates really start trickling through the industry. Um, but for now, there's enough demand that it's, it's far outpacing any, uh, any impact that we're seeing from, you know, on, on the capital markets and interest rate side. 
Good. And you're, and you're booming. You guys are growing. We are. We seem very comfortable there in your, in your office, probably it's about 80 degrees, <laughs> which is nice. But are you ready to get uncomfortable in the hot seat? Uh, okay. <laughs> oh. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofit startups and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple of days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Do you have a book and or podcast recommendation So, um, I am a big nerd. Yes. And I love fantasy. I read, I devour fantasy books and kind of be an example of one. So the last one that I read, um, was, uh, Brandon Sanderson, the Stormlight Archive. I've read almost every Brandon Sanderson book, and these books are thousands of pages. You know, I probably is read it about 20. like trolls and stuff. It's not about trolls. Um, it's not about trolls, but close. Uh, so anything that has a lot of world building, um, you know, epic fantasy, I multiple like that, books. Yeah. I love that. So I've read that. I recently read Dune. Um, I just read Dune. Finished it like two days ago. Mm-hmm. I'm actually in the in the appendices right now. Ah, They're very long. Okay. okay. What did you think? Uh, I mean, the ending was kind of eh, but the rest of the book was great. Yeah, I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing the second uh, the second movie. I thought the movie was so well done. Yeah, it was cool. But reading the book, I would I spent I remember then I was out in Palm Desert for a weekend with my buddy and I was like, mm-hmm. I kept thinking about how this, you know, this, how awful it would be to live in the desert all the time without much water, <laughs> you know, so anyways, it was I, I've enjoyed the book. It was an easy read. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ending was kind of like, huh? What? It's like you got yeah. bored or got tired or ran out of time. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there wasn't enough action for me. Hmm. Action, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully your troll books provide a lot of action. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's my book recommendation. Podcasts. Uh, you know, Dan Carlin, I don't think does a podcast anymore, but something I used to really like a lot, uh, is, was hardcore history. Dude, you're the I've been on this podcast for three years now, I think. Mm-hmm. No one ever mentioned it, and then someone mentioned it like two weeks ago, and now you, there's a second person. Yeah, that was well, the first podcast. That was the first person. Oh, I've, I've listened to it. That was the first oh. podcast I ever listened to. Mm. I didn't know about podcasts. Someone said I should listen to that. I listened to it, and I sent my dad to listen to it. He's great. It's so good. But again, epic world building. Yeah storytelling so it's basically the same thing it's just real life fantasy novels but instead it's in a podcast form i've been called the dan carlin of real estate 
that is a great compliment. By, by myself. <laughs> uh, well, good one. Okay. Do you have any advice for anyone looking to start out in the real estate hosp- or and or hospitality field? Um, hmm. This is not really related to real estate or hospitality, but um, it is how I think about my career and kind of how I think about where I am today. Uh, Your career is kind of like crossing a river or a stream on stones. So you start in one place and everything is kind of a sidestep to the next place to the next place. And so just finding a way to link what you're doing now to where you want to be, you're not going to be able to go from point A to point Z immediately. Right. I started in investment banking and I went, okay, from investment banking. And then I started covering lodging and then I started doing this. And then, you know, then I worked in restructuring during the downturn. And then I started working restructuring in hotels. And so every career step that I took was kind of a sidestep. And ultimately I got to where I wanted to be. Um, And so I think it's just always having your end goal in mind, being open to different opportunities, seeing if there's a skill or two that will be additive to your overall story um, in, in that next role and, and, and taking it, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the piece of, of career advice that I would give to folks as they're just starting out. I love it. I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons I have this podcast so people can see that they don't have to like, it's, it's not necessarily linear. It is linear, but like, it's not the way you envision it to be linear. Right. Um, cool. Good answer. How about your uh, most memorable deal? Do you have a most memorable deal? My most memorable deal. I don't think I, yeah, this is a throwing this um, one out yet. So I guess there's a couple. Um, there's a few, but the, the one that was probably most memorable was uh, selling the Phoenician when I was at Starwood. Oh, cool. And that was kind of one of the crown jewels of our portfolio. Uh, it's one of the great resorts in the country. And that's in Arizona. It's in Arizona. And what hosts doing with there. it is it, it's, it is a phenomenal, it is really a phenomenal asset. So it was just yeah. really fun to get to work on that. And what host is doing with it was amazing. Um, so it was just a fun, exciting deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then I stayed there. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Um, yeah, it was a fun, exciting deal. And it's really cool to see something that was already great, you know, made even, made even better and to be a part of that. Um, yeah. I love it. That was a great, I love staying there. Mm-hmm. What do you look for when you hire people? Mm. Um, I, I think it depends on where you are, right? Obviously with the role that you're hiring for and what the organization is. Citizen generally, M, yeah, what do you? Yeah, yeah. Ge- generally, Citizen M is a very collaborative environment. And as an owner, operator, and brand, we have a lot of stakeholders with a lot of different viewpoints. So the first thing that I would look for is someone who's able to navigate that, someone who's collaborative, someone who can hear different viewpoints, make people feel seen and heard, incorporate their feedback, um, you know, and kind of bring along various stakeholders towards a conclusion and towards a decision that at least where I am now and candidly, 
um, in, in the hospitality industry in general, because you do, you are balancing that brand and the operation and the owner, you are balancing a lot of different stakeholders. I think that that's an essential, uh, an essential skill is that, um, just, you know, being collaborative and being able to work as a team, motivate people, um, with different viewpoints. Sounds like that's what you're, you are. Well, thank you for that. We seem that way at least. This isn't a question I never asked anyone before, mm-hmm. but do you have like one specific interview question you ask? Do you have like a, like kind of a cool, like I, I interviewed um, Farah Jackson, who just interviewed me and it came out yesterday, but she always, she, she said, oh, she is, she always asks the end of the interview for everyone, everyone to tell a joke, like kind of on the spot. But it's like, if, even if you fail, she just wants somebody to try it. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. <laughs> They're supposed to fail, right? It's like it's seeing if you're okay with like thinking on your toes and being okay failing. Um, so I'm not going to ask you for a joke, but do you have anything like that? Or you can tell me a joke if you want. Oh my, I, I actually don't have a joke, and I am I am petrified of you asking me to tell a joke because I <laughs> I don't I don't have any to tell. Um, hmm. You don't have to have one. Yeah, you know what? I don't, and and I will say that that the one question I'm always asking people in an interview is very much related to what I just said because it's the thing that is most important and is the key to success here at here at Citizen M. So always in an interview, I ask, you know, how have you na- how have you navigated a team with differing viewpoints? Wow, um, that's harder than a joke for me. Yeah, that, I mean, that I've is, done it, but it's harder for me to articulate. That's my number one my number one interview question. Well, my goal with this podcast as well is to have everybody who listens to it and who interviews people to ask them that question, and so people, and then the people who are getting interviewed have listened to this podcast and are prepared with a joke. <laughs> <laughs> You always need one go-to. I have one go-to. You need a go-to joke. A go-to. Uh, what's your go-to joke? It's uh, I got it from Mining Python. It's like mm-hmm. the ultimate joke, or whatever. It's uh, two peanuts walk down the street. One's assaulted. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? Well done. Well done. It's easy. It's clean. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It's quirky. It's stupid. Uh, how does your job? You know, this is the Impact Real Estate Podcast. Mm-hmm. How does your job? have impact? How does my job have impact? Um, I can answer that in two ways. One would be how my job has impact in a very direct way. And then the other would be a higher level answer. So I'm going to go with number two, um, which is, you know, just hospitality in general. Um, you know, I believe it was Andre Balaz said that the thing that hotels are doing is allowing people to rent a lifestyle that they can't necessarily Before, yeah. have just, just for a day. And, um, there's something about that, that I think is really amazing. And, um, for me is, is really impactful. What we're doing in hotels, um, and more and more in all kinds of real estate asset classes is we're creating an experience for people. Um, you know, we're allowing them to be whoever it is that they want to be for that moment. Maybe they want to feel like a high powered business executive and they're there for a meeting, or maybe they want to have a romantic meeting away, or maybe they want to be super, super dad and take their family on a, on a terrific trip. Mm. Whoever people want to be, we're allowing them to be that, you know, for, for the time that they're staying with us and we're, we're creating that experience for them. And that is what, what makes 
hotels is so magical for me and, um, you know, how I think we have impact. Um, I love it. I love taking my son to like cool hotels. There you go. Super dad right here. That's great. <laughs> well, Marissa, is it Balan? Is that you pronounce your last name? It's Balan. Yeah. Balan. 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 What kind of Punchy. background is that? It was Balansky. And then, uh, oh. yeah, everyone kind of shortened like, it in Ellis yeah. Island. The rest is history. Marissa Balan. Marissa Balan. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You're great. Thank you. This is terrific.